We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report, your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. Usaid, how are we doing today, man? Because we're recording this episode on Monday, May 10th. We just had that discussion about the Bears and their draft uh, in this 2021 NFL draft. We're starting to see rookie minicamp starting to start up again. So it feels like we're starting to get into football um, after this long offseason, but still a ways to go. Yeah, I'm doing well. I mean, we're obviously in the slower parts of the offseason right now, but again, there's still a lot of activity that's going on. I mean, I saw a couple teams have actually signed some free agents. Then also for the Bears, you've got rookie minicamp happening this weekend, as well as just the rest of the NFL still having those minicamps, not just the Bears. So it's still a really exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're not obviously going to get a lot of info, I think, from rookie mini camps, but it's still exciting to get the rookies on the field. Um, for those in attendance, get, kind of get to see, get a first look at these guys and see how they're doing, see how they're matching up against their peers here. And then, of course, we get into OTAs, which is probably going to be different this year, I, I would assume still. Um, we know the NFLPA is probably no, not looking forward to uh, having their players at these OTAs if they don't need to be um, with you know, there's still COVID and everything going on there. And, you know, again, it's going to be a, lot, a little bit different than a normal off season, but it's exciting that we're getting to that point of the season. But like you said, it's, 
it's definitely going to be very slow. There still are quite a few free agents available. So maybe we see some, some moves here and there uh, throughout the months here. But I think until we get into late June, early August here, it's going to be pretty slow as a whole. But that gives us a lot of time to reflect on this offseason and where the Bears are at with things. And I think that starts with continuing to go over this draft. And so you said what we, what we were going to be doing for this episode is going over the 2020 NFL draft our draft grades for the rest of the NFC North. We did that for, in our last episode, the Bears going over their draft, grading each pick, uh, grading the draft as a whole. We're going to be doing something a little bit similar to that for the other teams in the NFC North, kind of give Bears fans an idea of what our thoughts were for how the other teams did, the Bears' opposition here. Um, We won't go, I don't think, as in-depth on this one, but uh, just to get – uh, a little breakdown here for some of the main picks and what our thoughts were as a whole. I think that's a uh, good thing for, I think, Bears fans to kind of get a gist of what is going on there. So you say, without a further ado, I say we just get right into this into this thing here and start off with the Detroit Lions, who you know had themselves a pretty good draft, in my opinion. I'll just go over the picks here as a whole, and then we can kind of discuss it from there. Uh, so with the first pick for the Lions there at seventh overall, there's a lot of you know, intrigue about would they trade down with this pick? Would they take a quarterback here with Jared Goff? Is he really the main quarterback on the roster here? How committed are they to Jared Goff? Justin Fields fell into their lap here, but who also fell in their lap here was Pinay Sewell off the tackle out of Oregon, the best tackle prospect in this draft class, arguably the best prospect overall in this draft class, depending on who you ask. And they went, decided to go in that direction there. And then the second round, they decided to go defensive tackle on day two here with two uh, picks here in the second and third round, getting Levi Onuzuriki, defensive lineman out of Washington, and then Alan McNeil, defensive lineman out of NC State. They also had another third round pick from the Rams trade they made for uh, in the Matthew Stafford deal. With that pick at 101 overall, they got a cornerback, IFA to Milifanwu, there at that portion of the draft. And then the fourth round, uh, they got their wide receiver, which was their biggest need, in my opinion, uh, getting Amon Ross St. Brown at 112 overall in the fourth round wide receiver out of USC. And then the very next pick, uh, they got Derek Barnes linebacker out of Purdue. They made a trade up here um, to, you know, get that, that pick there. And then in the seventh round there, as a result of that trade up, uh, they also had to pick here, Jamar Jefferson running back out of Oregon state uh, at 257 overall. So you say it, I'll start with you. What are your main takeaways from this drafts and what draft selections uh, do you like or dislike for the Lions here with their first draft here with their new regime? They, my biggest takeaway is this, is that they're investing in the trenches. I think if you look at those first three picks, obviously all guys that are either on the offensive line or the defensive line, Sewell you look at is the best pick. Yes, he fell to seventh overall. A lot of people thought he was not going to slip that far because a lot of people thought that maybe Miami or Cincinnati were going to scoop him up. But those two teams went the direction of wide receiver. When you look at Sewell, the um, the Lions just went ahead and restructured Jared Goff's contract. They created $15 million in cap space, so they're committed to building around him for the next couple of years because I believe he's under contract until the 2024 season. Adding Sewell gives them a really good left tackle. And then you look at Levi Onzuwerke. I'm so sorry I butchered his name, as well as Aline McNeil. Head coach Dan Campbell talked about hey, listen, we're going to beat people's knees off. He's made some sort of comment like that. They're trying to go ahead and change their offensive philosophy, their just football philosophy in Detroit in general by imposing their will at the line of scrimmage. And you look at the quarterback, Melon Fonwu, 
He is a player that a lot of people had at cornerback. Some people had at safety. I think he's a hybrid defender that can kind of play wherever. And if you look at defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn, he really values those types of players. Amon Ross St. Brown right there in round four. That was probably, you could argue, one of the biggest steals of the draft. I personally had St. Brown going as a slot wide receiver in either late day two, I'm sorry, late round two, early round three. He slipped to round four. I think that's going to be another really productive weapon. And the Lions, they need weapons because they just lost Kenny Galladay. I mean, Marvin Jones is getting older. TJ Hawkinson, your tight end is pretty good. He's a former first round pick. But then you look at the rest of this draft class. Derek Barnes from Purdue, okay, not it's necessarily a terrible pick. That's just a player that is going to be kind of a rotational guy. You hope he develops into a starter, but my ceiling for Barnes when watching him throughout this pre-draft process was rotational guy. And then Jamar Jefferson, a running back that I think is just there for depth because they're going all in on DeAndre Swift. Yeah, you mentioned toughness is a thing that the Lions were trying to build with this draft here. I think that the quote from uh, their new head coach here, names escaping me for some reason, but uh, biting off kneecaps, I think was the quote that he had in his first presser. You can kind of see that from, like you said, from where they were focused on this draft, building up the trenches here. You look at, again, Sewell, he's a guy, very athletic on the move, a great run blocker. You know, he's, he's going to add a lot there. Yeah, add to what they already have in the offensive line. They just extended Frank Ragnow at center. Uh, they have uh, Taylor Decker at left tackle. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with uh, that tackle situation because do they put Sewell at left tackle or move Decker to right tackle? Do they keep Decker at left tackle and put Sewell at right tackle? Very interesting there to see what they'll do at that spot. You know, we'll see what happens there, but yeah, I think adding toughness was the main draw of this draft. Now, if there is something to criticize here, and I'll, I'll point out here, I do feel like they should address wide receiver earlier in this draft. Now, Amon Ross St. Brown was a great value for them in the fourth round. I agree. He's one of the biggest steals in this draft class, especially for where they got him and role he'll fill. But, I mean, looking at this, this wide receiver depth chart, you know, they lost Kenny Galladay in the offseason. They lost Marvin Jones in the offseason. They lost Danny Amendola in the offseason, although he's getting up there in age. So, you know, what's the loss there? But – Looking at this thing here, you have Tyrell Williams. Here's your number one. It looks like here just, yeah, Quintus Cephas will probably slide in as a number two. It's just not a very talented group overall. And you have a Monterey St. Brown who can probably contribute there, get on the field right away. But, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of upside there. And if you're a guy like, you know, it seems like they're building around Jared Goff here, at least for the next year or two here. It seems like they're, they're committed to him as they start this rebuild. Um, you know, Jared Goff's a guy that needs weapons to succeed. I, I know protecting him is key as well, and that's what they wanted to do with Panay Sewell, and I get that. But uh, getting weapons for Jared Goff is extremely important because he is one of those quarterbacks in the NFL to where he is heavily reliant on, on the supporting cast. If you can get him good receivers, he can look pretty solid. But if not, it's going to be a struggle for him because he's not a guy that creates off schedule. He's not a guy that's going to extend plays for guys. He's kind of, you know, a statue in the pocket there. So I thought that was kind of a uh, – you know, something that they missed in this draft, getting another wide receiver talent. But again, I'm on our St. Brown's good value in the, in the fourth round there. So I can't complain about it too much, I would say. You mentioned Jared Goff needing a strong supporting cast. I think that this, he's not really, it's fair to question whether he's really set up for success in Detroit. Because when we look at that 2018 Rams offense, I mean, everyone knows that that was not Jared Goff. Jared Goff had a phenomenal year production wise, but that was more so Todd Gurley, who I think had like 30 touchdowns from scrimmage. 
the running back as well as Sean McVay manufacturing what was a really good Rams offense because they were like the number two scoring offense in the NFL that year. And now you have Jared Goff in Detroit. I mean, none of the playmakers that are on the Lions offense are of the caliber that the Rams had. And so you really have to wonder when you look at this, are they shifting towards, and that Rams offense was passed first, by the way, but when you look at this Lions offense, are they legitimately shifting towards something where they're actually going to run the ball more? Because you mentioned Sewell being a great run blocker. I mean, they have Frank Rag now. They have Vitae, the offensive tackle that they signed last year in free agency. Taylor Decker's another one. Jonah Jackson. I mean, those are all players that you – those are all guys that coming out of college were pretty good run blockers. And then on top of that, you add this in. They just cut carry on Johnson – who I think was like a 2018 or 2019 mid-round pick. They move on from Johnson because he never really lived it up to the do-it-all potential type guy. You have a second-round pick in DeAndre Swift. So I do wonder, are they going to be – and then you drafted Jamar Jefferson as well. Are they going to be running the ball more in Detroit? I think that that's something that's going to happen just to kind of go ahead and mask Jared Goff's weaknesses. But you are right regarding the wide receiver. I mean, this was a very deep wide receiver class. And they didn't really go ahead and draft a high pick. I mean, in the top 10, you could have gone with a Devontae Smith or a Jalen Waddle. Those two were on the board by the, well, Waddle was off the board, but Devontae Smith was there. And then you went ahead and went with Sewell. And then just in that second round alone, I mean, looking at that second round, there were some pretty good prospects there that I thought could have made sense for the Lions as wide receiver. And I think it's going to be one of those things where they kind of regret passing up on some of these names, because when you look at the list, ultimately, I mean, you had Rondo Moore that was there. I mean, Eskridge from Western Michigan was another name. Those are two players that you really look at and you're like, okay, well, I mean, Terrace Marshall Jr., another wide receiver that was there. All three guys that I think going into the draft had lots of starting potential and you could argue would probably be the best wide receivers on the roster right now. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I think you hit, hit it on the head there about this being a more of a running team. Cause I look at this offensive line, it's shaping up to be one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. Cause Decker, he's a solid left tackle there. They drafted two guards last year. Like you kind of mentioned with Jonah Jackson there, you know, we'll see if one of those guys can develop in anything, but I mean, guards are a pretty replaceable position anyway. Um, in most schemes there, Frank Ragnall is one of the best centers in the NFL. He's got paid. So uh, you feel good about that. And then Sewell, whether he's that tackle or guard there, you mentioned Vitae. Vitae is he's whatever. Uh, he's not really anything um, that moves the needle for me, especially if he's at tackle. But Pene Sewell, he's he's a great player. And they're going to have a great offensive line here. They're going to be able to run the ball. They also signed Jamal Williams uh, from Green Bay in this offseason as well. So they're obviously looking for a tough-minded uh, run the ball um, and try and set up Jared Goff off the play action. I think is what they're trying to go with here. Because uh, Jared Goff, he's not a great, you know, in the sense of a true drop back pocket passer, but off of play action with his accuracy, his ability to hit throws down the field, he can do some things there. And if they're going with that, where they're going to run the ball, it's going to be a lot of play action. It's going to be a lot of design manufactured stuff for Jared Goff in the passing game. I think it can work, but if you're going to make that work, you need some level of game breaking boundary talent to kind of take advantage of there. And, they just don't have it from this draft. Again, Amon Rock St. Brown is a great value. He's going to be a very good player in the NFL, in my opinion. But uh, again, he's not that game-breaking talent that you kind of need. And like you said, they could have had Rondell Moore in the second round. They could have had uh, Terrence Marshall in the second round. They could have had uh, Eskridge in the second round. 
uh, Diami Brown uh, was there in the second round, uh, even in the third round. And so they said a double dip on the defensive line where if they do need some defensive line help, I don't, I just don't know. They needed to double dip there at that position. They could have gone with wide receiver again and kind of double dip there instead, I think in my opinion, but overall, I, I think this is a good draft for the Lions. I gave it an A. Uh, Panay Sewell, just fantastic value in the first first round. I like all the players they drafted here for the most part. Uh, they got good value, I feel like, across the board in all their picks, especially Monroe St. Brown. Uh, and, it, and they clearly had a strategy here to build up the trenches, build an identity here, and kind of get this rebuild started with, you know, kind of install some toughness in this team. So uh, you say before we get on to the Green Bay Packers here, how would you grade this uh, Lions draft as a whole? I would give it a B. I think, okay, so you get Sewell really good pick who's going to kind of be the highlight of your draft class. Amon Ross St. Brown, like we've established, really good value in the fourth round. But then I also look at the their third round pick, one, of, one overall, which is Ifutu Melanfanwu from Syracuse. I mean, that is a player that I know I mentioned this earlier, hybrid guy. I think that he's got the upside for him is just ridiculous at this point. And I think that that when we look back at this draft class, Melon Fonwu could potentially be, become their second best player behind Sewell. But overall, I would give it a B because they didn't necessarily, they double dipped on defensive tackle only. I thought that they didn't necessarily need to double dip on the defensive line. They ch- should have double dipped at like wide receiver. All right. Maybe adding another cornerback would have been ideal as well because their Lions cornerback depth isn't the best. But overall, it was one of the more under the radar drafts. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. All right, let's move on to the Green Bay Packers here, who had an interesting draft, very controversial draft. Once again, you know, it was a controversial draft weekend as a whole for the Packers. We had all that controversy with Aaron Rodgers, you know, talking about him not no longer wanting to be a Packer. And, you know, that's going to be something I think is going to be the main storyline of this offseason as we kind of move on into mini camps here. Um, where will Aaron Rodgers go? Will he stay with the Packers? Will he get traded? There's a lot of rumors that Denver was making a big push to get Aaron Rodgers, but I don't think any concrete offer was made. I don't know if that was reported or not, but uh, yeah, Aaron Rodgers could very well be on his way out here. And I don't think anything the Packers did in this draft would help that because I think the damage has been done um, in terms of Aaron Rodgers' relationship here um, with the Packers. But in terms of just focusing all of our attention on the draft here and what the Packers did on draft weekend here specifically, you know, looking at how they handled this thing with their first round pick uh, at pick 29 overall. They got Eric Stokes, cornerback out of Georgia. And then the second round, uh, you know, they lost Corey Lindsley in the offseason and they replaced him with Josh Meyer, center out of Ohio State in the second round. And then the third round, they ended up trading up to get Amari Rodgers at 85 overall. 
wide receiver out of Clemson. They finally addressed wide receiver Aaron Rodgers, which he's been, uh, you know, complaining about for years now. Um, finally get him in the third round. Um, and then the fourth round, getting another offensive lineman, Royce Newman of Ole Miss. In the fifth round, they had two fifth round picks at 173 and 178. Uh, they used that to get two TJ Slane, defensive lineman out of Florida, and my guy, Shamar Jean Charles, cornerback out of Appalachian State, which I hate that he's a Packer now. Now I have to root against him. I don't like that. Um, and the sixth round, they got uh, two picks as well, uh, 214, 220, getting Cole Van Lannan, uh offensive tackle from Wisconsin, and then Isaiah McDovey at 220, uh, linebacker out of Boston College. And they also had a seventh-round pick at 256 with Kylan Hill, running back out of Mississippi State. So overall, I'm just going to start this off. You say going over you know, my quick thoughts here. Uh, the first thing that stands out to me are the first two picks. I felt like they did not get good value on those first two draft picks, and I'll explain why. Because Eric Stokes, uh, it, it felt like with both picks that they addressed uh, the right position, the right positional need for them at that time, but they took the wrong player in both cases. So Eric Stokes, uh, Asante Samuel Jr. was sitting on the board for them. You know, Asante Samuel Jr. was a first-round talent for me. Perfect scheme fit for what they want to do, kind of going to that uh, too high safety defense uh, from the Rams. Uh, with their new defensive coordinator there. Asante Samuel is perfect for that defense. And they're standing there taking an Eric Stokes, who, yeah, he's tall. He's got great speed, but he's a bit of a project. He struggles changing directions at times. He's more of a press man type of corner there. So unless they're trying to go with a press man scheme, I'm not sure that's a great fit for their defense there. And just value-wise, Eric Stokes was a you know mid to late second round, early third round talent for me. I don't think he's going to start right away. And, and this is a team that you know, you're looking at the last, probably if Aaron Rodgers comes back the last year of Aaron Rodgers here in Green Bay, um, you know, kind of just assuming there, but, uh, you know, they need guys that can contribute now. And Eric Stokes isn't a guy that I think brings that impact on day one. And then the second round, Josh Myers, uh, Creed Humphrey is on the board. They could have had Creed Humphrey, the best center in this draft class. And, and instead they reach for Josh Myers. Again, he's going to start right away. Probably he's filling a need for them at center, but they could have had Creed Humphrey, man. And that's just got it. If you're a Packers fan, I, I know they've done a great job of developing these offensive linemen in the past, but Josh Myers was not a second round talent. In my opinion, he was a third, fourth round type of guy. Um, I know you were a bit higher on him than me, um, but with Creed Humphrey on the board, you have to go with Creed Humphrey there, in my opinion, especially in that outside zone system. Um, yeah. Creed Humphrey's on the board. You got to pick Creed Humphrey. <laughs> I just don't get that pick at all. See, the Packers are interesting because when you look at this 2021 draft, I mean, they took Myers, they took Royce Newman, and then they took Cole Van Lanen. And when you – this first thing's first, this was general manager Brian Gutenkitz's fourth NFL draft with the franchise where he was the one calling the shots. Gutenkitz is one of the few guys in the Green Bay front office that's homegrown because he was actually there when they selected Aaron Rodgers as well back in 2005 as a scout. But there's a commitment to the trenches in Green Bay because when you look at – the 2018, 2019, and 2020 drafts, they've invested heavily in the trenches. I mean, they took three offensive linemen last year. The year before that, they took Eggleton Jenkins, a player that can play pretty much anywhere on the interior offensive line. Before that, they took Cole Madison. So the Packers are heavily investing into the trenches, but this was just a draft class overall that had so many questions with it. And it's really fair to wonder who could the best player from this draft class really end up being okay eric stokes probably not myers well you know what creed hump it's like you mentioned man creed humphrey was there on the board probably would have been more sense to go with humphrey because i actually had humphrey ranked as one of my top interior guys in this class 
Amari Rogers, okay, the guy's not overly dynamic, but he is just good enough. And for the Packers, we know that their aerial attack runs through it runs through Devontae Adams. So Amari Rogers and everyone else like Marcus Valdez Scantling, um, Alan Lazard, the wide receiver from Ohio State. I believe Equinemius St. Brown is still on the roster. Those are all just like two, three, four, five options right there. I mean, okay, what is Royce Newman really become on what is such a deep offensive line? To Daryl Slayton, um, that's a pick that you really kind of went ahead and invested into, over-invested into the defensive line because you do have a pretty good front seven there. Shamar Dean Charles is a really a steal. And then Van Lanen, McDuffie, Kalen Hill, those are all just players. They, they pretty much just took flyers on knowing that they really did not necessarily have these overly significant needs at any of those positions. And I think what's interesting is this, is that for Green Bay, one criticism that I would have is I don't think, well, there's really two criticisms. One, you pass up on Elijah Moore in favor of Eric Stokes. I mean, you also talked about Asante Samuel Jr. was on the board for them as well. But then another criticism I have is I think the biggest issue with Green Bay is that they have not had that consistent presence in the middle of their defense since probably the earlier Mike McCarthy days when A.J. Hawk was there. And I think when you look at that, there was an opportunity to add a linebacker in this draft, probably someone that could have solidified the position, but they opted not to do so. And just going back to the Stokes pick, it just makes zero sense to me because you had Elijah Moore on the board. Um, If you're going to address the offensive line, maybe Landon Dickerson would have made sense. You could even argue this because they lost some talent on the offensive line. Offensive lines also getting older. I mean, why not go with a guy like Tevin Jenkins, for example? So really this draft class as a whole, when you look at it for the Packers, I mean, there wasn't really any thought process behind any of the guys that they drafted. Whereas compared to the last few years, you could have been like, okay, so it makes sense as to why they took Eggleton Jenkins. It makes sense as to why they took Jair Alexander and traded up for him in the first round. makes sense as to why they invested in Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage. Because they needed, those were significant needs for them on the defensive side of the ball. But this one, man, there's just zero direction. Yeah, my, my biggest thing is just they passed up on better players to, you know, I, it seemed like they were, it was kind of like, you know, notoriously like the Raiders over the past few years with, with Gruden. They just had their eye on a few handful of guys that they just, those are their guys. They want to go get them um, at whatever pick, you know, they can get them at. And they just passed up on better talented players uh, to reach on those on those guys and and that's that's exactly what they did with Stokes and Myers and again I think Stokes and Myers both could be starters event for, for them eventually and could be solid players but uh, they had a chance to get like you said instant impact even if they didn't go with Asante Samuel which I thought they would or should have done in the first round like you said Elijah Moore was on the board Tevin Jenkins was on the board uh, he would have put in a right tackle right away I mean Green Bay is awesome with their offensive line uh, they could have had a dominant one once again with Tevin Jenkins there. And like you said, Landon Dickerson was on the board as well in the first round. So, uh, yeah, I just did not like their first two picks whatsoever. I'm not I'm not saying that as a Bears fan just to try and trash the Packers, even though it is fun to trash the Packers. But, I mean, yeah, I just did not like their first two picks just from an objective uh, process uh, standpoint whatsoever. But I did like their Mario Rogers pick in the third round. I felt like that was their best pick in this draft just because it was perfect value for him. They had the trade to go get him, which is why – you know, I would say that's an A pick for me, not an A plus though, because they had the trade up to get him. But I think they've been looking for that slot wide receiver for a long time. And Rodgers, he's he's one of the better slot wide receivers, pure slot wide receivers in this draft class. 
And in the third round there, that's good value for him. Um, but yeah, some of these other picks on day three, I just did not get Royce Newman whatsoever. I, that was a total reach. I had him as like a seventh round talent. Um, just, I, if anything, I felt like Cole Van Lyn was the better pick, better player, and they got him in the sixth round. So I did not get that one at all. Like you said, they could have gone linebacker there. They could have gotten up for another wide receiver there. Um, you know, Slate was a bit of a reach for me. In fact, Jamar Gene Charles was kind of – actually, you no, know, Gene Charles was probably a good value right there for where they got him in the fifth round. I, I kind of saw him as like fifth, sixth round type of guy um, as well. But Slate was a little bit of a reach for his positional value when he brings to the table. But I, I will say this. I love their last two picks because, you know, it's a sixth and seventh round, so, like, who cares at that point? You know, both these guys probably won't be making that much of an impact. But uh, McDuffie, you know, I feel like he can be uh, an impactful player on special teams for them as a linebacker. I think he does have uh, some physical upside to develop there. Um, and then I love Kylan Hill for them. Um, they, they need to get another run, I guess, uh, another backup running back there, even though they do have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. You know, Kylan Hill is a great pick in the seventh round because he's kind of perfect for what they want to do in terms of a guy that's, you know, has good burst explosive downhill uh, can break some tackles downhill in that outside zone system uh, kind of a perfect fit there, but it kind of puts in the, it's, it's like a good pick in the sense that, you know, they got great value on that pick, but it's also an example of why you don't pay Aaron Jones, like a ton of money, like they did this off season. And, you know, because, you know, you can find these running backs that like Kylan Hill in the seventh round, they're probably going to be, you know, 85 to 90% as good as Aaron Jones for a fraction of the price. So uh so overall, I like their last two picks and some of the stuff they did on day three, but the uh, first two days were pretty rough for the package here. And for that, that's why I'm giving them a, a C overall. Again, I don't think it was a terrible draft because I do feel like some of the guys they got there will be able to contribute and start for them down the road here. Um, but they just left a lot of meat in the bone here. Uh, they could have had a, a much better draft here, a much more impactful draft here, and it just felt like they just left a lot of talent on the table here. Um, early in this draft what are your thoughts on their overall draft here yeah it's you alluded to it perfectly they left a lot of meat on the bone they left a lot to be desired because I think that anytime you have those first especially those first and second round picks you are consistently trying to figure out ways to find guys that are going to be future starters and I think when you look at some of the players that they left on the board I mean the biggest one here is this I really think the Packers are going to regret passing up on Elijah Moore in favor of Eric Stokes because they've invested in the cornerback over the last couple of years. Alexander, Josh Jackson, I know Kevin King, I they brought back Kevin King as well this offseason, but they are going to regret, I think, passing on Elijah Moore because his skill set's a perfect complement for the wide receiver that is the ca a caliber of Devontae Adams, basically. I think that overall, when you look at it, I would give it a C as well because you're right. There's not really any one or two prospects in this Packers draft class that you're like, okay, oh my God, those guys are going to be really good players. More so what it is, is the fact that they got a whole bunch of guys with good value. You hope that they turn into starters, but you're really not sure. At worst, they turn into depth players. This is really a draft class. If I were going to sum it up, you just hope for the best. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it overall. Back-to-back -back years where I thought the Packers really missed what they needed to do in the draft. You know, talk about that 20. 20 class was just awful for them, um, especially Jordan Love doesn't hit. Um, but back-to-back -back years where I just don't think they're getting good impact and good value here with their drafts, which is unfortunate because for Aaron Rodgers because that's probably one of the reasons why he wants out of Green Bay because they're kind of wasting the last couple of years of his, of his career there in Green Bay. But that moves us to the last team here in the NFC North, and that is the Minnesota Vikings, who had a very uh, – 
as usual with them, a very uh, eventful draft in terms of moving around a lot, getting lots of picks, taking lots of shots here. And that's what they do. So what they did here, they had originally, I think, the 14th pick in the draft, but they ended up trading down uh, with the New York Jets here and got a lot of value with that trade down. They got uh, the 23rd pick in the first round, and then they got pick 66 and 86 from the New York Jets um, You know, in that trade. And they ended up getting the guy that I thought they should have drafted at 14 anyway, and that was Christian Derisaw um, off the tackle of Virginia Tech. So they get him in the first round. And then they didn't have a pick um, until the third round because of the uh, Yannick Ngakwe trade uh, last year. So because of that, uh, they get in the third round here at 66. They end up taking Kelamon, quarterback out of Texas A&M. Good value for him there. I thought that was probably the right spot for him to go. Um, at 78, they had four third-round picks, so just a lot of shots here in day two here. Uh, at 78, they had Chad Surratt, linebacker at UNC. At 86, uh, Wyatt Davis. Offensive guard out of Ohio State. And then four picks later at 90, they got Patrick Jones, defensive end out of Pittsburgh. And then look at all these picks. They had three fourth round picks here. Um, uh, the first one at 119, I think, which is where they got from the Bears, if I'm, uh, if I'm right there, but I'd have to double check that. But they got running back out of Iowa State, Kenny uh, Nwangu, uh, running back there, had, you know, not, not a lot of production there in college, but he had a just a ridiculous workout at his pro day i think that's what kind of propelled him to be picked here he's a very explosive runner um at 125 they got cameron bynum cornerback out of california at 134 janarius robinson edge player out of florida state and then they had two fifth round picks at 157 and 168 and they went back to the offensive side of the ball getting amir smith marset uh wide receiver out of iowa and then zach davidson tight end out of central missouri a good project player uh, from a small school uh, that has some punter versatility as well, funny enough. But And then the sixth round, their last pick here at 199, Jalen Swyman, defensive lineman out of Pittsburgh. Uh, so you say, I'll, I'll start off with you here. What are your main thoughts, uh, general thoughts here uh, on for this Viking draft as a whole? Because there were a lot of picks here to go through. It's second straight season. They've gone with quantity over quality because I believe they had like 14 draft picks last year as well. But what was different last year, and I think, the moves that they had made last year feeds into this offseason as well because the Vikings went through a bit of a transitional period last year. They, I think, traded away or released or just kind of got rid of, I think, seven or eight players that had been on the roster since the start of the Mike Zimmer era, all core guys and guys that were actually part of that 2017 NFC championship run. And then you move on from them. Then you replace those guys in the draft. They ended a pretty good draft last year. This year, they're kind of continuing to add to that foundation that they lost last year. I think that Derisaw at 23rd overall was a major steal. A lot of people seem to have Derisaw going within like the top 20 picks. They were fortunate enough to trade out of 14 and get him there while also getting some extra draft capital back. And then you look at Mon and Surratt. Okay, Mon was really your plan B at quarterback because everyone knew that the Vikings wanted Justin Fields. Courtney Cronin of ESPN Minnesota actually reported that they wanted Justin Fields first. So Mon's a fallback plan. You hope that he develops into something and you have time with him because you have Kirk Cousins under contract for two more seasons. Chad Surratt, linebacker. I think a guy that kind of slipped through the cracks in what was a pretty good linebacker class overall. Highly productive in college. I think he can translate that over the NFL. I thought another really good pick was Wyatt Davis from Ohio State, the guard. Really a powerful mauler in the run game. I think that he can play either left guard or right guard. 
Patrick Jones the second, and then Nwangu the running back. Those I think are just two depth pieces. I think Mike Zimmer always likes to invest in the front seven. Mike Zimmer's also made it very clear. I want to be able to run the football more, take kind of a balanced approach. So that's why you're going with Nwangu as just some insurance policy in case Dalvin Cook goes down. Same with the cornerback Cameron Bynum and Janarius Robinson. More depth right there. I think that the hidden gem of this Vikings draft class is that fifth round pick, 157 overall. Amir Smith-Marset, the wide receiver from Iowa. That is one of the players that I think is a sleeper because in the right offense, he brings speed. He brings some ideal size as well. He's like six foot two, six foot three. All right. Pretty good return skills as well. And then just a vertical threat overall. So I think that when you look at this Vikings draft class, they address a lot of needs and that's what you're expected to do when you go with quantity over quality, but really they not only did they hit on a lot of needs, they've also taken a couple project players that they have time to develop the right way that they think will be starters at some point down the road, maybe in another year or two. Yeah, this is a classic Rick Spielman draft right here. Now training down the first round, getting a ton of picks um, late day two, day three, and just taking shots at positions and, um, seeing what sticks because the draft they kind of they treat in Minnesota like a like a crapshoot basically. They're trying to get as many picks as possible, trying to take as many swings as possible, and see what can work for them. That's what they've been doing throughout all of Rick Spielman's uh, tenure here in Minnesota. And I agree uh, that there saw just the trade in general, and then to get him at twenty three was uh, a home run for them. That was one of the best value picks in the entire draft, in my opinion, because he's he was a guy that was consistently being mocked in the top fifteen. Um, before Minnesota, even like the top 13, like the, the latest I saw him go in most mock drafts was at 13 to the Los Angeles Chargers. So I did not expect him to get past the Chargers there. Um, they ended up taking Rashawn Slater at 13, and lo and behold, he's right there at 14. And the Vikings, to get him at 23 after trading down and getting um, some extra draft capital there, that, that great move for them. And then that basically what that did was that basically gave them a free swing at quarterback um, with Kelamond here because Kelamond, I thought he was like a third or fourth round talent. We talked about with him, Montel. We talked about him with Montel in our pre-draft, uh, you know, preview show. Um, but you know, Kelamond is a guy that uh, if you pick him in the right spot, he does have some physical upside to develop into something. I think he's going to right, like you said, he's going to a good situation for him because he can sit for a couple of years behind Kirk Cousins. He doesn't have any pressure to play right away. There are a lot of things for him to work on, but. I think he's going to the right offense for him in terms of he's going to a lot of play action, a lot of boot boots, a lot of rollouts, a lot of like easy reads, a lot of manufactured offense um, off of play action. Um, a lot of stuff where that can really emphasize his athleticism and arm strength to make throws down the field. So I think he's going to the good spot, perfect spot for him. He could develop into a starter on the line for them. That would not be surprising to me. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the Surratt or Patrick Jones pace in the third round, but um, I will say that Wyatt Davis, uh, at 86 was a very good value. They pretty much fixed their offensive line, in my opinion, because they had probably the worst guard situation in the NFL last year. So what do you do here? You get Derisaw, who's going to be starting from day one at left tackle. Uh, you already have Bradbury in there at center. You have Brian O'Neill at right tackle. He's one of the best right tackles in the NFL. They need to get that guard situation figured out. Well, you have Ezra Cleveland there, who they drafted last year in the second round. He played a lot of guard last year. Maybe he develops a little bit. But Wyatt Davis, I think he's a safe starter uh, at either guard spot, like you said, I think he's really going to fix that offensive line for them um, because that was their major weakness over the past few years. They just haven't had that pass protection to help protect Kirk Cousins there, especially in the interior. Um, White Davis, he's very good in that aspect of things. And I will say, 
Uh, my favorite pick for them on day three is actually Zach Davison out, out of Central Missouri, just because one, I thought it was good value uh, for where he was. I kind of thought of him to go, but he kind of, he brings a lot to the table. He's an athletic uh, receiving tight end that can split up wide in the slot and do a lot of things uh, as a vertical threat as a tight end there. Uh, but he also can play punter as well. So if they need someone to like be a backup punter, essentially, he feels like two spots basically. So I, I thought that was a pretty fun pick for them. They got rid of Kyle Rudolph. They released him in the off season. So they need some youth at that tight end spot along with uh, Smith there. So um, I, I like that pick for them. Again, they got a lot of guys that are going to be projects here, but I think you look at here, the main takeaways for this Vikings draft, trading down, getting extra picks, fixing that offensive line, getting a free shot at a quarterback, and this just throwing darts at the defensive side of the ball, at the edge spot, at cornerback, uh, on the offensive side of the ball, just taking taking shots there. So that's what they did here in Minnesota. Um, I'm giving this, this draft an A. What kind of might hold them back, though, like you said, though, they were in on Justin Fields, and that's kind of been – that's kind of known. So do you think that that changes your grade a little bit, um, knowing that they could have been aggressive for Justin Fields in the first round there? I think it it does kind of change my grade, and here's why. Because when – I would take Justin Fields, honestly. I think his upside's tremendous. It's – Justin Fields immediately, if he pans out, is going to be the – better quarterback than Kirk Cousins has ever been. Now, that's not to discredit Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins has been good, but the difference is that Fields has consistently elevated his teammates and the entire team compared to Kirk Cousins. But I think overall, man, I mean, you're sitting there, you were originally picking at 14th overall. So were you really that hesitant to trade up to 11th overall? But there was also a to grab Justin Fields once you saw that he started to slip. And that's one major knock on Rick Spielman is that the guy's been aggressive as a general manager, but he hasn't been aggressive enough. And you really wonder, Hey, what could have become of Minnesota's draft class? Maybe if fourth rounders, but they had gotten Justin Fields because you could have still had some of those, all those extra picks and then still figured out a way to navigate up for Justin Fields and still get a pretty good, draft class in general but yeah it does change my grade a bit but i would say overall when you look at this draft class right i would give it a solid b because derisaw you're looking at this right you're looking at derisaw being your best player from this class overall smith marset in the fifth round that's gonna be another guy that you hope really develops into a solid starter i think he will especially because he's going to be able to learn from justin jefferson as well as adam thielen okay kellen mond a bit of a project guy so it's going to be a few years before we get a real read on him but then Wyatt Davis Chaz Surratt I thought those were two really solid picks so overall for the Vikings I mean if you come out of this draft with four potentially five starters then I would bump their grade up to an A but for right now it kind of sits at a B just because of the lack of willingness to be aggressive and there were also reports that stated that Spielman didn't want to trade up for Justin Fields he actually wanted to trade up for Rashawn Slater but what happened is Slater ended up going to the Chargers one pick before yeah it's interesting I saw that report too basically he was willing to trade for Slater but not for Justin Fields so basically if Justin Fields was on the board at 14 they would have taken him but they weren't willing to trade up for him so that made no sense to me like if that's true that that just process wise that makes no sense because obviously 
the quarterback is the most important position here. And if you have a chance to, if you value them that highly to where you think he's going to be your guy at the pick you're at, and if you can trade up for him within reason, like why not just trade up and take the shot at the quarterback? So yeah, I, I think I can see that lowering uh, the grade a little bit. I still think um, process wise in terms of trading down, getting all those, those picks and fixing the offensive line and where they, the value they got on some of these guys, that's where I gave them the A. I think they will get a few starters from the draft, especially Darisaw could be a huge impact for that offensive line, but um, that kind of wraps up the grading part of this, but let's kind of conclude this. You say by going over just our general thoughts about the NFC North as a whole, uh, looking back to this draft, what are your main takeaways from this draft looking at the NFC North? Do you, how do you think the bears compare here in terms of, you know, how, how they, how these drafts compare to the rest of the teams here? How do you think they did? I mean, I think the bears did better than any of these teams and that's not me being a bears fan as well as analyst being a homer but i think anytime you can get two top 20 players in fields and seven jenkins how many other teams in the nfl can say that because that's not exclusive to just the bears in the nfc north when you look at everything that the bears did the bears use this offseason to kind of correct and admit mistakes that they had made over the last couple of years. They added some depth. They added some high upside guys on day three. Then you look at Minnesota. Minnesota kind of took a similar approach to the Bears, but like I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, that unwillingness to be aggressive to trade up for Justin Fields, a player that is about as proven as it gets as for a rookie quarterback, especially coming out of a major program like Ohio State that's going to be a stain on Spielman's resume because when you look at the Vikings, the quarterback Spielman's been there for nearly a decade. He's been there since 2012, but really the quarterback position has always held the Vikings back. When you look at green Bay, like we mentioned, absolutely zero rationale behind or reasoning behind anyone that they drafted. You hope that Stokes lives up to his potential. Then you have some other guys, Amari Rogers, for example, Josh Myers, that you're going to roll the dice on. You hope that they develop into something. And then you have the Lions. Well, like I said, they built in the trenches. They seem to be committing more towards building the running game. Really, if I had to rank these draft classes, power ranking them, I would go the Bears at one. And then I would go with the Vikings at second overall, just because, again, they got a lot of, they got Darisol to steal, and they got a lot of guys with some high upside, some project players. Then the Lions at three, as well as the Vikings at four. Yeah, I would say that's how I'd rank them as well. I feel like the Bears did a nice, like you said, they got two top 20 players in this class in, in Fields and Jenkins. And ultimately, I feel like it comes down to if Fields develops like we think he will, if he becomes the guy that we think he can be in terms of uh, that franchise quarterback, that top 10 uh, game-changing, franchise-changing quarterback here, uh, that's gonna that's gonna be something we're gonna be talking about, I think, often in uh, in history here because the Lions they had a shot at, at Justin Fields because he fell right into their lap, um, and then the Vikings, like you said, they had that major discussion of you know he was gonna be their guy for a team if he fell to them, you know why didn't they be more aggressive to trade up and get him and secure their guy because getting that quarterback position is the most important thing here. So I'd say the Bears they did well here in terms of getting uh, two impactful players. Um, early in this draft, I, I do feel like the Vikings do have a little bit of an advantage in terms of volume, um, in terms of getting more guys that I think will contribute. But like you said, um, that lack of aggressiveness, it's kind of hurt them at the quarterback position. Um, and that's kind of been what's held Rick Spielman back. Rick Spielman's a great GM, I think. Um, he gets, he's a very underrated GM. I think he gets a little, too much flack. But if there's one thing to kind of criticize him for is he hasn't gotten the quarterback position right. And 
it's just a matter of he doesn't know when or how to take his shots at the quarterback position. It just feels like he's been, uh, you know, throwing darts at a wall, trying to get it right. It just doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to how he addresses it. So uh, that's really the biggest uh, thing with Spielman there. But again, I, I'm happy as a Bears fan because that gets you Justin Fields here. So overall, I think the Bears did well here compared to the rest of these NFC North teams. Uh, we'll just see how it turns out uh, when they actually hit, hit the field. So uh, you see, I think it's a good time to wrap up this episode here. Uh, where can they follow you on Twitter and find your work? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter and as well as any other social media platform at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report. I am going to be doing a couple series this summer in terms of writing articles. One of them is going to be about analyzing potential breakout candidates. One's going to be on rookie expectations. And then a third one's going to be on players on the Bears roster that need to bounce back in 2021. Keep an eye out for those throughout May and June. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace as well. We'll be posting some updates uh, on Twitter as well to go along with everything there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25 and find my work at the bear report as well. Uh, I have a piece coming out uh, this week should be out by the time I think this episode does air, but uh, it's going to be on projecting the bears depth chart for the 2021 season. Now that we're past the draft here. So that'll be a, a fun read out that I'm putting together there. Um, also keep in mind, it's, it might take a while. These might be spread out a little bit throughout the off season throughout the summer, but uh, some video projects. If you've been following any of my film breakdowns on YouTube for the Bear Report, um, I got some stuff from Justin Fields. I hope to be coming out in the next week or two. Um, and then Tevin Jenkins will be working on something for him as well. And then maybe um, if I can get some tape for some of these other guys, um, put together some of these some of these day three guys as well to kind of give uh, a kind of a preview for these uh, rookies as we get to training camp here. So overall, uh, good stuff for the Bears here uh, for this draft here. That kind of wraps up our NFC North discussion. Uh, for this 2021 NFL draft. We're going to be doing some more stuff as, in regards to the draft in the next couple of weeks here. I'm just kind of recapping it. Um, but overall, I think that wraps up our main conversation for the Bears. We might have a little bit of, of conversations here and there, recapping things, but we'll see how it goes. I want to thank our listeners once again for tuning in on all podcasting platforms and uh, make sure to keep up with us again next week and we'll see you then. Bear down, Bear, Bears fans. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready our foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.